I want to start with a question. Uh, have you ever won anything in a competition? Yeah. Like, like a prize draw or a raffle? Yeah? Yeah, yeah? yeah oh, that's good, a few of you. I remember as a child, I, I used to enter competitions and I used to be so sure that I was going to win. Did anybody else do that as a child? Like, I was sure I would enter a competition for a bike or for a Walkman or for a year's subscription to the Beano. And I was, I was just so confident that that bike will be mine because I've entered. Like, and God is on my side. So well, I remember my dad kind of taking me aside and saying, look, there's really not a lot of chance of you winning this. You, know, you, need, to, you need to be prepared. And guess what? My dad was right. Who knew? Dads are right sometimes. Who knew? Grace has walked out the room. I was just going to point that at her, uh, my Grace. Um, who knew? Dads are right sometimes. He was absolutely right. I didn't, I didn't win anything um, in, in a competition that I was sent off for. But a few years ago, I actually did win something in a competition that I didn't even enter. Okay? I, I, I actually stopped entering competitions. It got to a point where I felt it was, it was a God thing. He said to me, look, who's your provider? You, you, you enter, why are you entering competitions? I provide everything in it. So it was, it was a personal thing for me, and I stopped. But then I got, a, I got an email from Odeon Cinema saying, because you booked to see the movie Jason Bourne. Anyone remember Jason Bourne? Yeah, well, they, you had the three, uh, the Bourne Identity, the Bourne Supremacy, the Bourne Ultimatum. Then you had the one that we all like to forget, the Bourne Legacy, I think it was. And then we had the, uh, the reboot, which was Jason Bourne. I went to see Jason Bourne at the cinema. And because I had booked online, I was automatically entered into a competition without me knowing. And they sent me an email saying, you've won. And I was just great. And I, I had three, there were three responses available to me at this moment. My first response could be, nah, I don't believe it. No, it's fake. It's not real. And we do have to be careful about those emails, don't we? We really do. There are a lot of things, you know, you've won a timeshare. All you have to do is send us your credit card or, uh, you know, you've won this or that. And all you've got to do is pay this much money to unlock millions. <laughs> we have to be careful. But I could, so I could sit there thinking, okay, no, I don't believe that I've won. I've never won anything. This can't be, this can't be true. My second response could be, well, yeah, I believe it. Like, I don't really care. Like, how good can it be? It wasn't even a competition I entered. You know, how good can the prize be? So I kind of don't let it affect me in any way. Yeah, okay, well, maybe I have won something, maybe I haven't. Uh, and just leave it at that. Or my third response could be, I, I read the email, I believe it, and I'm filled with joy. Yes, I've won. Guess what my response was? Three, yes, exactly that. I've won something at last. I've won something. And sure enough, uh, a few days later, a uh, parcel arrived through the post, and it was a little box, and it was a Jason Bourne branded watch. Really? Really. A, right. Not bad at all. And I was looking at this watch, and I've obviously seen all the James Bond films, and, you know, and Jason Bourne is a little bit like James Bond, and, and obviously whenever Q gives James Bond a watch, he kind of twists it that way, and it shoots a, a dart to paralyze people. He turns it this way, and it, like, it turns into an explosive, or he, it's got like a laser that can cut through metal if he pushes this button. And I tried everything on my watch, and it did nothing except tell the time. It didn't, <laughs> it didn't even have a date on this thing. It was like... But it did have Jason Bourne written on it. And so when I wore it, like I was a bit, oh, I'm Jason Bourne, don't mess with me or this pen, you know, kind of. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's good, it's good to, it's kind of to win something like that. Um, and I was thinking about that, you know, that, uh, what that happened and, and how 
we can have the same three responses to what we read in Scripture, right? We can either say, nah, I just don't believe it. I'm not, I, I, I don't believe it's true, it's not, or it's not for me at this time. Or I can believe it and not let it change me. I can just read it and go, yeah, well, that might be true, but it's not going to affect my life in any way. I'm just going to keep living this way I always have. Or I can read it, I can believe it, I can accept it with joy, and I can let it transform. I, mean, I can let it revolutionize my life. I can let the words of God, because that's what we're talking about, really. You know, Dan, last week, he brought us a great message about building a foundation on the Word of God. And I can let the Word kind of soak in and change my life. And I can start to live my life according to what, we, or what I've read or heard. Right at the start of this series, I gave us two scriptures, which we keep coming back to. And it's these two passages of scripture uh, from uh, uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the second letter. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And I said right at the beginning, if we can just take this idea, if we learn nothing else in this series, but we take this idea and also this idea, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. If we can take these ideas and if we can embody them, if we can learn to live our lives with these ideas in our mind, that when we gave our life to Jesus, that moment that uh, uh, my mum was talking about earlier, that moment that we need to remember back, that moment where we, where we gave our hearts to Jesus and said, Ness, now I'm going to follow him. That moment that Fru just encouraged us to do if we haven't already done it. When we gave our life in that moment, he did something in us. There was a change in us. There was a revolution that happened and we became a new creation. But it's not just a momentary thing. It's a process thing as well because we know that we can be confident that he who began that work in us it's a great work that he's done in us, but it's a process that we are becoming sanctified. It's a bit of a kind of a religious long word. It just means we are becoming more holy. We are becoming more like Jesus, which is the, the, the process that we should be on. And he said, he who started that, that's God who started that work in us, is going to carry on until it's complete. So the question I ask you, do you believe that you are a new creation? And do you believe that he is doing a work in you that he's going to bring to completion. Two things. Do I live like these things are true? And there are loads and loads more scriptures uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that it's good for us to embody, to learn about, to, to, to try and, and, and put into our lives. But if, if we only just take these two this week and start to live like they're true, it will change us. It will transform us there'll be a great thing that happens in us. And so the revolution that we need is to believe what we read, is to change the way we live because of what we read, to, to make decisions and choices about our lives that are based on what we read, to decide we are not gonna mold ourselves to the pattern of the world, but we are gonna live as children of God and let our minds be transformed. Now, I believe that God is calling us to be a, uh, a growing church, just a community of people. And I believe he's got a plan for us and a purpose for us as individuals and also as a gathering. When we, um, 
When we first started this church a few years ago, before the pandemic, the year before the pandemic, we, together we came up with five goals, if you like, five behaviors that we felt we wanted to embody as a church. I'm just going to remind you of what they were. Uh, some of you, maybe you haven't seen these before. Uh, and, and we said, you know, we see a church, in, in, in terms of talking about ourselves, we see a church, and number one was praises extravagantly and worships intimately. We want to be people who, who for God is first in everything. We want to praise him with everything we've got, and we want to worship like we know him, and we're intimate with him. The second thing was we want to include unconditionally. The third thing was we want to grow intentionally. We want to grow, we want to grow, uh, it's not just talking about growing numerically. We want to grow individually. We want to grow as we become more like Jesus. He who began that work, that's all about growth. It's all about becoming, becoming something. We want to serve wholeheartedly. It was great this morning. The amount, there was loads of people here setting up the room this morning, getting this place ready. There was a real atmosphere of servanthood this morning, getting this church ready for all of us to gather um, and that's, that's kind of what I want to see more of, and, I want, and we want to see more of that. And the last thing we want to be is we want to be a church that invites relentlessly. Now, I've highlighted two because the, the, my message for you today is really bringing out these two ideas, that we include unconditionally and that we invite relentlessly, that we include, we gather, we bring people in unconditionally because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He was unconditional about that. We need to include unconditionally and we need to be outward facing and invite people in and we need to do that relentlessly as well. Um, now I've been mentioning over the last, since uh, beginning of January uh, that when I spoke, to, I, I, I spoke to God and I said, look, you know, what is it that you are calling us to become this year? So what, what one thing, obviously there's probably more than one thing, but as a, as a church, what is it that you are calling us into? And I believe that he said he's calling us more into fellowship and into hospitality and into community and into getting to know one another better and uh, you know, gathering more and, and being willing to put ourselves out there to open up our lives, open up our hearts, open up our homes to one another. Because I really feel that things change, things uh, miraculous happens, a revolution happens when we do that, when we start to open up with each other. And I feel like this is what God is calling us to be. And I've challenged us over the last few weeks to, to start to do that, to, to open up our lives a bit more, to open up our homes, to, to invite somebody over for a coffee and have a chat and see how they're doing and, and tell them about what you're going through, to do that. And I don't want us to take the gas, our foot off the gas with this. I want us to keep pushing with this. And I'm going to keep reminding of us of this each week, maybe the whole year, okay? I'm going to keep putting this out there because I really feel it's that important and I feel like that is where God is bringing us to and it's not just inviting people into a Sunday gathering into church it's inviting people into our lives letting, letting them see Jesus in us and the whole world has moved backwards in this area considerably a long way backwards since the pandemic right it's moved backwards. It's, you know, we were a nation of you know, much more open doors in the past. And I think the pandemic has, you know, I guess we were moving more in that direction anyway, but the pandemic has just killed something in our communities. And people have kind of bolted their doors and shut their curtains and, and, and closed off because it's somehow it feels more comfortable to do that. But that's not how we were called to live. That's not how we were called to be. We're called to be in fellowship. We're called to be in community. 
with one another. And we, want to, we don't want to mold ourselves that way. We want to pull back. There's a better way. There's blessings in the way. Um, the writer to the Hebrews... We're going to focus for the last, uh, second half of my message on, on one passage, uh, Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to uh, the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some scholars think it was Paul. Some say it was somebody else, but there, there isn't a name attached to it. It kind of doesn't matter, but it's a great book that talks a lot about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And chapter 10 is fantastic. It talks um, about, the, in the whole chapter is talking about Jesus being the sacrifice for our sins. And we've just sung so many songs about that, about, you know, the cross, um, you know, we are forgiven because of the cross. The cross has spoken. The king of kings has made me his own. We've just uh, sung, so will I. And that whole of that last verse, talking about what Jesus' death has done for us. And, and the whole chapter, Hebrews 10, talks about, you know, there was, there was a whole sacrificial system that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, but Jesus kind of did away, he became the sacrifice for our sins, so that the sacrifices doesn't need to happen anymore. I'm just going to uh, read you from verse 14. I haven't got this one on the screen. Um, just a single verse, and then I'm going to um, read from verse 19. So verse 14 says this, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And it's got those two ideas that we've just talked about. He has made perfect forever. The present tense, he has, it's happened. It's, it, it's a done deal. He's made us perfect. He's made us a new creation. And then he said, those who are being made holy. There's a process that's also going on. So there's a moment where we're made perfect forever. And then there's this other process that happens where we're being made holy over the course of time. He who began that good work is going to complete it. All right, so from verse 19 then in Hebrews, this is how the writer puts what I've been talking about. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. There's that word again, uh, confidence. We need to have confidence. Our confidence comes from believing who God is and what he's done for us. Believing what the word says, what the word tells us about what he's done for us. He, and what has he done? He's enabled us to enter the most holy place. And I'm sure you all know, this is a reference to the tabernacle or the temple. There was this, this uh, partitioned off section of the temple that only the high priest could go in once a year because that's where the presence of God was. And you know perhaps that when Jesus died, it tells us that on that moment of his death, the curtain that separated, the partition that separated the rest of the temple from the, from the Holy of Holies was torn in two in that moment. Because what it was doing was giving us access to God's presence. It's funny, yesterday when we were uh, gathering as men, uh, the question that John brought to us, which is a great question, was what would Jesus say to us if he was here now? And what would we say to him? And it was a great conversation. But right at the very end, I think, I think it was somebody, I think it was Israel, who reminded us all, you know, Jesus is here yeah. with us. Whenever we are gathered, because he's in us. We are with, and it was this, the, that curtain tearing in two. His presence became real to us and became part of us in that moment. So we have confidence to enter the most holy place by a new and living way, opened up to us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, we need to fully grasp what has been given to us. Again, this is another idea. If we can understand that we have access to the presence of God, 
We have access to the presence of God. The one who created you. The one who created all things. We have access to him and we can have confidence in that. So what do we do with that confidence? Which is this. Since we have uh, access, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay. I'm going to go off track a little bit here. When my father-in-law, Fru's dad, when he retired, he took up cooking. He started to bake a bit more and started to cook. And what, I remember one time he cooked a meal. And as part of this meal, he gave us a trio of cabbages. It doesn't sound very exciting, does it? A trio. You've got red cabbage and white cabbage and, and, and Savoy cabbage. All right. There was a trio of cabbages. Well, today, I'm going to give you a trio of lettuces. You're wondering, where's he going with this? A trio of lettuces, all right? That's what we're we're going to feast on today, a trio of lettuce, and you're going to be full of lettuce by the end. Uh, Joy. All right, knock, knock. Lettuce. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Oh, it doesn't get better, does it? Every week, it's just, it's a horrible thing. So our confidence is in God and what he's done for us. And it brings us to this point of drawing near to God. Coming closer to him, opening ourselves up to God. What does drawing near mean? If I get close to somebody, it's coming into an embrace. It's coming, it's like I know you. I want to know you better. I want to be close to you. I want to be next to you. I want to be as close as I can to you. And he says, draw near to God with a sincere heart. Why does he put that in? Why, why with a sincere heart? Well, he wants us to be come as we are. Not this fake image of who we are. I think often we spend, maybe you don't, but maybe I do, and I know people who do, spend time, so much time and energy on our image, on what people see, that there isn't any time or energy left to spend on the real us, on working out the mess, on bringing the mess to God and saying, I need to change, help me. I need to revolutionize this area of my life. We're so busy putting on a front because we think people don't want to see the mess. And he's saying, no, 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 draw near to God with a sincere heart. Now, I've probably said it before, but this word sincere is a Latin word. Two words, sin, which means without, and sere, which means wax. Without wax. Okay, what does that mean? It means make sure you clean your ears out before you come to God. It doesn't mean that, by the way. Uh, it means, uh, it's, it's, it's taken, in the olden days, when or maybe even now, but when, when you had a sculptor who was sculpting something out of stone, he would, he would be working on this amazing, and it would take a long time to carve something out of stone. And maybe there were imperfections in the stone, or maybe he accidentally knocks off a toenail as he was just finishing it off. It's like, oh no, do I start again? No, I don't start again. What I do is I get a, bun- a, a piece of wax, I make it warm so it's soft, and then I put it into the imperfection so you can't see it anymore. I put it onto the toe and create a toenail with it, so, so now it looks like the whole thing is whole. So if you were without wax, you had a, 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 a full sculpture with all the imperfections and everything as it was made, rather than covered up with wax. 
And that's what it means to come sincerely without anything hidden. This is me as I am, mess and all. And God invites us to come to him, mess and all, as we are. But then he loves us so much to leave us that way. And he wants to do a work in us. Knock, knock. Lettuce. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us hold. So we're going to, he wants to let us draw near to God. The second thing he said, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Have you ever hoped for something that didn't come about? Just like me as a child, those competitions that I entered, I put my hope in the fact that I would win something, and I, and I never did. And maybe we can view our, the biblical hope in the same way. Maybe it will happen, maybe it won't. I've, kind of, I've got a little bit of hope, but it's, this is not the same kind of hope that we're talking about. Hope in God is a sure thing. It's an anchor for our soul. It's, an, it's rock solid. It's solid ground. It's a foundation. And it's immovable. Hope in God is immovable. He will never let us down. And from my own experience, I know that those times where I haven't fully understood the journey that he's brought me on, the, uh, the steps that he's, and, and, and there's difficult, and there's storms, and there's stuff going on in my world, and I don't fully get what's going on, and it feels like actually God is distant. It's when I get to the end of it that I look back and say, actually, I see. I see now that he had my hand the whole way and he was bringing me through this and now I'm, I'm bigger, I'm grown. I, he, he's dealt with some of the mess that was in me. We have to hold unswervingly, like hold tight to that hope. I remember at a previous church uh, and, and a lot of years ago, it's when Dyson first came out. One of the elders, a guy called Richard, he bought a Dyson and every time he preached, he would bring his Dyson in as an illustration. Every time. Like he would sing the praises of this vacuum cleaner. Wouldn't he? Every time. He would just say, this Dyson is a miracle. And, 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 and everybody in the congregation got sick and tired of hearing about this Dyson. But I'm sure people bought a Dyson on the strength of this guy saying how great it was. I remember the first time I used a Dyson. We never had one, but I think Fru's parents had one for a while and I used it. And I was expecting this out-of-body experience. And really... It sucked. Yeah, they don't get any better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I've left it in the cupboard. It's just gathering dust. No. No. But anyway, I was so disappointed. They're like, it's just, yeah, well, it, it, it sucks up dirt, like our Henry does. Like, but you've, I put my hope in this thing. I had a hope that this would be amazing. And it just wasn't. It was okay. And... Whenever we place our hope in anything other than God, there's a, a strong possibility that we're going to be let down. But hope in God is not like that. Holding on to the hope in God is not something we do physically. It's something that we do in our heart. Because there are all sorts of promises. There are all sorts of things that he's told us in Scripture that we can hold on to. We are a new creation. I can put my hope in that. He's began a good work. He's going to bring it to completion. I can put my hope in that. He has forgiven all my sins. I can put my hope in that. He has promised that we're going to be perfected for all time by a single sacrifice. He has promised to remember my sins no more. I can put my hope in that. He's promised that I am more than a conqueror. He's promised that nothing can separate me from his love. 
He's promised to provide all my needs according to his glorious riches. There's so many promises that I can, I can stand on and I can hope on. And I can profess, I can actually speak out those hopes uh, to other people as well. That's the source of my hope. But we're not just made to have like a personal hope. It doesn't stop there. We have this hope from God, but it doesn't stop there. Because uh, that hope should lead to a change in our lives. You know, we've said, you know, when we read scripture, we want to put it into practice. So, yes, let us draw near to God. Yes, let us hold unswervingly to the hope. Knock, knock. Let us. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So there we go, the trio of lettuces. And I love this last lettuce. This should be the focus of our lives. This is what God is drawing us to this year. Let us consider how we can spur one another on. And notice that it doesn't say what you might expect it to say. It doesn't say, let us consider how we may love one another and how we might do good deeds for one another. It doesn't say, although those are good things and that's probably a biblical way to live, to love and to do good deeds, that's great. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on to do those things. And the implication being is if you need to do them and I need to spur you on to do them, then I need to do them and you need to spur me on to do them too. We need to be encouraging one another. We need to be uh, kind of making each other do the, you know, get better at loving and get better at good deeds. How are we going to do that? I think it's interesting, again, this word, let us consider. Because it's quite, a, it's quite a weak word, isn't it, consider? I might say to you, oh, consider, consider the weather that we're having. Or consider my new shirt. If you were crossing the road and there was a truck about to plow into you, I wouldn't say, consider the five-ton truck that's about to hit you. I wouldn't say, I would be more imperative than that. I'd be like, watch out! Well, this word, uh, the word uh, consider in the Greek is kataneo. It, it, it's kind of, it's much more bold than that. It's, it's fix your attention on this. Give it all your focus. Do this, uh, keep looking at it until you've understood it. Consider, uh, there's another point in the book of Hebrews where he uses the same word, kataneo. Uh, in chapter 3, he says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. He says, kataneo, Jesus. So in this bo- one book alone, we're told to, to fix our eyes on Jesus and also fix our eyes on one another. Because actually, if you, if you read it, if you translate it, it actually uh, says, uh, consider, what the translation would, would literally say is, consider one another towards Love and good deeds. It's not very good English, so they, they move it around a bit. But essentially, we've got to consider Jesus, like fix our thoughts on Jesus, and then fix our thoughts on one another. And it's, it's really um, the, the greatest commandment, isn't it? It's what Jesus, he, he, somebody came to him and what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, what does the law say? Well, well, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is the same as the first. It's the, exactly the same idea. Love your neighbor as yourself. They're two things, but they are the same. You can't love God and not love your neighbor. I can't consider Jesus without considering one another. It's the same thing. This is how we, we demonstrate our praise and our worship and our love of God is how we, is how we consider and love and, 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 and give each other encouragement um, uh, to one another, spurring one another towards love and good deeds. This is a hugely important part of being a follower of Jesus. And the, the text tells us how to go about this. Um, 
Does it? He says, uh, cons- consider how to do it. He says, uh, you need to not give up meeting together. Well, it's a bit of a double negative. Do not give, to not give up is a double negative. So what he's saying, he's saying, meet together. Don't stop, don't stop meeting together. Do meet together. And again, I'm, I'm, there's a few Greek words coming out here. Um, uh, this word for meet together is episynagogue. And you've probably heard the word synagogue before. It's the, it was the meeting place uh, in uh, ancient Palestine. It's where they met and where, you know, in Judaism where they meet. It's the gathering place. It's the assembly place. It's like church, essentially. Meet together. Don't stop coming. Always come. Try not to miss it. Why? So we can have an increase in numbers? So we can have a bigger offering? No. So we can spur one another on. So you can be spurred on towards love and good deeds. And he said, as some are in the habit of doing, because it's an easy habit to fall into, to, to, to not come. It's, oh, yeah, I'm just going to have a little bit of lying today. I'm not going to uh, get up. Don't give up meeting together. And then he goes on, uh, but encouraging one another. So this is the positive statement. Don't give up meeting together and do encourage one another. Do encourage one another. And this word, one more Greek word for you, parakaleo, encourage one another. Para, whenever you see the word para in scripture, it means come alongside, get next to. You can't encourage one another without being next to, without actually being in proximity. Parakaleo, encourage one another. Give each other uh, courage. Put courage into each other. Meet together. Encourage one another. Sunday gatherings. Small groups. Men's breakfast. Everything that goes on. The prayer meeting. Sorry? First Wednesday. First Wednesday. Woo-hoo. We always push. I know we're always pushing our small groups and our midweek groups. It's because it's where change happens. I'm under no illusion that, that Sunday mornings do very much, to be honest. It might inspire you, but it's actually when we get together in circles rather than rows that change happens. When we are face-to-face with people and they're opening up to me and I'm opening up to them and I'm spurring them on to love and good deeds and they're spurring me on. It's where it happens. And I would really like like the writer of the Hebrews, I would urge you to consider how to do that and to, and to get better at this. Make this year the year where we get better at this. Make it our habit. So that's it. That's my encouragement for you today. Meet together. Encourage one another. If you want to write that down, feel free to write it down. Meet together and encourage one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Invite people into your life. Invite people into your home. If you haven't yet done it this year, get someone round for dinner this week or for a cup of coffee and chat to them. And then as we do that, as we get better, as we become uh, more of a community, we can then uh, take that idea and, 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 and look outwards and start to invite relentlessly, invite people into that too. This is what we're called to do. We want to include unconditionally. We want to invite relentlessly and take that hope and profess it to the world. Let's begin this revolution as we start to see this church that God is calling us to be in 2023.